The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Hello, everyone. My name is Dave Barton. I serve on the Board of Church Governance at White Ridge Baptist Church. And this is a re-recording of a message I delivered on Christmas morning. And uh, I started by saying that this is my Christmas gift to uh, Pastor Terry so that he didn't have to preach both on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. So Merry Christmas to everyone. And I'd like to start by reading uh, the text for this morning, Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So our series leading up to Christmas is Behold the King, and today the King has come. And of course, we're talking about King Jesus, born as a baby in the humblest of circumstances. We know the story of how he was born in a stable and laid in a manger, how the angels announced his birth to the shepherds, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and how the shepherds were the first to visit and worship the newborn king. The second chapter of Matthew takes place sometime after Jesus was born, perhaps as much as two years later. Mary and Joseph have found a house in Bethlehem, and Jesus is referred to as a child, not a baby. Jesus is, of course, the central figure in this story, but we can learn a lot about him and ourselves by examining the other characters in the story. Now, I refer to this as a story, but be assured it is a true story. As Pastor Terry explained in the Christmas Eve service, that these are real people who existed in real time and real place in history. So first, let's look at Herod, who's commonly referred, referred to as Herod the Great. He was the first in a long line of Herods who were kings of Judea. So his uh, control extended not only in Judea, but through Samaria, Galilee, and parts of modern-day Syria. He was appointed to this position by the Roman Senate over 35 years before Jesus was born. And he served as king of this region at the time of Jesus' birth under the authority of Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman emperor. 
Herod was not Jewish, but a Dumian. He traced his lineage through the Edomites back to Esau. His family had converted to Judaism generations earlier, and Augustus saw Herod as the perfect ruler for the Jewish people because Herod would understand their culture and customs, but he wouldn't be so close to them as to become disloyal to the Roman Empire. Herod is remembered for undertaking a great number of elaborate building projects, including many palaces, mountaintop fortresses, amphitheaters, aqueducts, and monuments. His most significant project was the rebuilding of the temple. Herod is also remembered as a ruthless, paranoid, and murderous ruler. He killed a wife, three sons, a mother-in-law, brother-in-law, uncle, and many others who he believed to have been a threat to him during his long reign. In a sense, Herod considered himself king of the Jews. He sought to influence the welfare of Jews beyond his official territory. And so he obviously saw this new king of the Jews as a direct threat to his rule, going so far as to order the murder of all male children two years old and under in the vicinity of Bethlehem after the wise men did not return to him. The wise men, or magi, came from the east, possibly Persia, or Babylon, or Arabia, but they were most certainly Gentiles. Magi, from what we, where we get the modern word magician, was a generic term for intellectual elite who would study sacred writings, interpret dreams, pursue wisdom, study astrology, or perhaps even claim magical powers. When Daniel interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and this is 700 years before Jesus, he was promoted to chief prefect over all the wise men in Babylon. And that's the same word magi of the wise men. So these were the wise men uh, in Daniel's time. And by the time of Jesus, many years later, uh, these wise men could have been influenced by Jewish writings that were left behind from Daniel's day during the time of captivity. They may have been guided by Balaam's prophecy in Numbers 24, 17, which reads, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. This prophecy was understood by Jewish scholars to refer to the coming Messiah. The wise men came a long way, likely traveling more than a month to arrive in Jerusalem. They brought expensive gifts to present to the new king, and they were guided by a star. They had seen it rise in the east and recognized it as a sign from God and followed it as it tracked westward. They went to Jerusalem, the capital of Judea, asking everyone where they could find he who has been born king of the Jews. Herod was king of Judea, but he was not considered by the Jewish people to be the king of the Jews. The term king of the Jews was well known to be a reference to the Messiah. Many people at that time were looking for a Messiah to deliver them from the Roman rule or heal them from physical disease or economic despair. They knew Herod wasn't going to accomplish any of that. The wise men seemed to have a sense that they were searching for a very special king of kings, not just the person who might someday inherit an earthly throne, for they had come to worship him. While their background and profession appeared to indicate they were not true believers, they had heard from God, initially in their studies of his word and his creation, and later hearing from him in a dream, and in all cases, they obeyed. When Herod heard about the wise men and the questions they were asking, he summoned them to meet with him. 
But first, he called his religious leaders and asked them where the Messiah would be born. These religious leaders were chief priests who were leaders in worship and overseers of the temple. And the scribes who were experts in the Old Testament law. They told Herod where the Messiah was to be born, quoting Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephathra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. It's not clear whether the chief priests and scribes attended Herod's meeting with the wise men. Uh, it would appear that probably they didn't. And there's no indication they had any direct contact with one another. These religious leaders must have known why Herod asked them the question because Matthew tells us that all Jerusalem were aware of the wise men and what they were searching for. So were the priests and scribes not at all curious about that? Maybe they doubted the validity of the claims being made by the wise men. More likely, they were suspicious of them as outsiders, seen as non-Jews who were following strange knowledge in search of a Jewish prophecy. At any rate, we don't see any further engagement from them in this story. I'd actually consider the star to be another character in the story. It was most certainly not an actual star because the stars from our perspective are, are fixed in the heavens. They wouldn't be tracking from east to west as it appears to have been in this story. But perhaps it was a planet or some uh, astronomers say a conjunction of planets um, that glowed brighter in the night sky or perhaps even a comet. Uh, any of these could potentially have tracked from west to east, sorry, east to west across the night sky over a period of several days or weeks. But any natural explanation of this phenomenon falls far short of its truly supernatural identity. Because when the wise men left Jerusalem, this star turned due south and went ahead of them for the short 10 kilometer journey to Bethlehem. And then it stopped right over the house in Bethlehem where they found Jesus. Whatever this star was, God was using it in a supernatural way to guide the wise men toward Jesus. We've already heard how the wise men had come with the intent to worship the newborn king of the Jews. They openly told everyone they met in Jerusalem, including Herod, that they'd come to worship this new king. Herod clearly had a similar understanding because he asked the chief priests and scribes where the Christ or the Messiah was to be born. When Herod dismissed the wise men, he asked them to return and tell him where the child is on the false pretext that he also wants to go and worship him. When the wise men arrived at the house and saw Jesus, they fell down and worshiped him. This foreshadows the worshiping of Jesus by all people throughout the world and signifies him as more than king, king of more than just the Jewish people. Their gifts included the giving of expensive gifts. So let's take a look at those three gifts and what they might mean. Gold is truly a gift fit for a king. Gold served as a monetary standard for centuries and is still recognized today as a symbol of wealth. The power of a king and his kingdom was often measured in how much gold he could accumulate. First Kings 10 provides detail on the accumulated riches of King Solomon with a primary focus on the vast quantities of gold he possessed. That list is capped in verse 23, which says, Thus, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. Gold also has a connection to worship. Uh, there is a lot of gold in the temple, 
the Ark of the Covenant was covered in gold. Almost all of the utensils were either made of gold or plated with gold. And even the walls of the temple were overlaid with gold. Uh, so gold is, is truly uh, symbolic of the royalty of Jesus. It also has a, a connection to the worship of Jesus. Frankincense clearly has a connection to worship in that it is the main in ingredient used in the incense for worship in the temple. And you find this in Exodus 30, where it talks about the special mixture uh, of the incense for the temple that was never to be used anywhere but in the temple, and frankincense was the primary ingredient. This fragrant incense was burned at the beginning of each day in the temple before the first sacrifice, and it was the last thing done after the final offering at the end of the day. Incense uh, and worship has a close connection to prayer. In Psalm 141.2, King David wrote, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. In Revelation 8, 3 and 4, we're given a glimpse of heavenly worship with our prayers being presented with incense. Those verses read, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Myrrh is a spice that's mentioned frequently in the Old Testament. It was a key ingredient in the holy oil used to anoint the utensils of worship in the temple and to anoint the priests who offered sacrifices. This is also detailed in Exodus 30. Myrrh was also used to prepare dead bodies for burial. And you can read in John 19, verses 38 to 40, about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus using a mixture of myrrh and aloes to prepare Jesus' body for burial. Today, we celebrate the birth of a king, but not just any king. Matthew has given us the genealogy of Jesus in chapter 1. We know that Jesus descended from the royal line of King David. We know that his uh, birth was to a virgin, and that was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. In chapter 2, we see Jesus born in Bethlehem, the fulfillment of another messianic prophecy from Micah. As Pastor Terry explained last Sunday, Jesus is a very different kind of king. More than just king of the Jews, he is king for all peoples of the world. He's king of kings, lord of lords, son of God and creator of the universe. His kingdom is not of this world, as Jesus said often during his earthly ministry, even up until the time of his death, that his kingdom is the kingdom of heaven, and he's calling each one of us to join him in his eternal kingdom. As we celebrate the birth of our king this Christmas season, what's your relationship with him? Are you, like Herod, seeking to be the king of your own life? Have you been rejecting Jesus as your king? and doing everything you can to keep yourself on the throne? Are you like the chief priests, caught up in the practice of worship, but missing the very object of that worship? Are you going through the motions of religiosity and missing the opportunity and blessing of a direct relationship with the God who created and saved you? Perhaps you're like the scribes. You love to read scripture. You seek to understand its meaning, and you even memorize large passages of it but you don't catch the full and true meaning of it by seeking and nurturing your relationship with Jesus, the living word of God. Or are you more like the wise men, willing to do whatever it takes to meet and worship the king, 
willing to give him everything that you have in worship of him. We now know a lot more than the wise men did. We know that Jesus is so much more than king of the Jews because he lived a sinless life and offered himself as the perfect and acceptable sacrifice to atone for the sins of the world, for your sins, for my sins, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Are you like the wise men willing to give your treasures to Jesus? Are you willing to offer back to him the financial benefits you have received from him? Are you offering him the sweet smelling incense of your prayers? Have you accepted the anointment of his calling for you to follow him? Are you willing to sacrifice all he has given you as an act of worship towards him? This time last year, we were preparing to study Romans 12. And the first verse in Romans 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are to worship our king with all that we are, presenting ourselves to him and yielding to his will. As I was preparing this past week, God brought an old hymn to mind, and the first line stuck. King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be. If you know that song, you know it's not a Christmas song. It's very much an Easter song entitled, Lead Me to Calvary. But I realized that the Christmas story would lose much of its meaning without the Easter story. Jesus didn't come into this world to save the Jews from the Roman Empire. He didn't come to heal us physically or financially, although he did and does sometimes do that. He came to offer his perfect life as a sacrifice for our sins and is now resurrected and sitting on the right hand of God, the Father in heaven, in our heavenly home. Have you accepted the king of the universe, the king of all creation, as the king of your life? Are you living for his glory? Do you truly love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength? Maybe you've already made a decision to follow Jesus, to accept him as your king and to worship him. But maybe you feel being pulled away from that relationship with him. Maybe you're being pulled by personal desires that are contrary to God's will for you. You're being pulled by worldly influences or maybe even impacted by a direct attack from Satan. Maybe you're just going through the motions of worship and missing the deep connection that Jesus desires to have with you. I pray that you will surrender to him anew, spend time with him and truly worship him. Maybe you've not yet accepted Jesus as king of your life, but you hear him calling you now. Don't resist that call. Don't treat Jesus as a threat to be opposed or an irrelevant idea to be ignored. If you have questions about what you're thinking and feeling, please talk to someone who knows and follows Jesus, a close friend, a pastor, me. I would be happy to talk to you if you have thoughts and concerns about a relationship with Jesus. Please don't put off another day, a conversation that could be had or a decision that could be made to truly make Jesus Lord of your life today. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to know you, and to worship you. We thank you that in the Christmas season, that we as your disciples have 
such special opportunity to share you with others, to explain why we have a holiday called Christmas, what it means to know you and to worship you and to acknowledge you as Lord and King of our life. I pray that anyone who's listening to this that has questions, that wants to discuss, that wants to, to spend time in prayer or to know more about you, Lord, that they would reach out to someone that they know believes and has relationship with you, that they might contact the church to talk to one of the pastors, that they might even be bold enough to reach out and discuss this with me. We thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign over all creation, that you've prepared a home in heaven for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.